everybody welcome to episode 16 of in the flat podcast this week's title was rear questions that's because we scoured the message boards and got the hottest questions out there in college football and plan to answer them for you today now these questions don't include your personal team questions such as am i getting this transfer or are we you know getting a better defensive line next year it's going to be more wider impacting with all of college football um, over the next few years uh, we have a couple questions that may be related to one or two teams but for the most part we're going to Try to be more widespread here with some of the questions. So, uh, first, let's let's talk about um, you know a question I saw. Yeah, people were debating on who, who are some of the most surprising teams that performed well this year. I think last week we talked a lot about um, teams that struggled and what they need to do to get better. So let's talk about those teams that did well, and if we f- feel like this is going to continue next year. So, I'll start first with my surprise team. So, um, I selected Michigan. Michigan State and Oklahoma State is the three teams I, I was surprised with. Now, I know Michigan was going to come in, probably have a, at least a nine and three record. So, I mean, they didn't go crazy and their schedule probably helped them out a bit. But I was surprised that they were able to win the games they were, that they were able to beat Ohio State and make it to the playoffs. So that's surprising to me. From a Michigan State perspective, they had so many transfers. Well, they had like 15 to 20 transfers. So you never know how that's going to work out. And it ended up working pretty well for them. I mean, their, their defense never really – was good with the gets the good teams, but their offense obviously was very elite last year. And then you had Oklahoma State, who would, what's surprising to me is just that really depending on their defense and really end up having a really good season uh, overall. So those are my teams. And if I'm thinking about like, do I feel like they're going to kind of keep it going next year? Um, that's tough to say. I mean, Michigan potentially could, uh, but they lost a lot of good defensive players, which I think was a strength of this team. It really depends if they go to their five-star quarterback, um, J.J. McCarthy, and he's able to pick up the offense and make them more explosive there because I think that's how they can continue to play well. They have a really easy schedule next year, but, it, again, it comes down to can they beat Ohio State. And I just don't know if they can do it two years in a row. I mean, I think it was just their kind of year last year. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do it again, so I'm not sure they're going to surprise us next year. Michigan State um, – you know, I think they'll continue to kind of improve in, in, in year three of the new regime there. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have as good of a season, but I think nine and three, 10 and two is not out of the realm of possibility. And Oklahoma State has lost a lot on the transfer portal. I think I want to say 12 or 13 kids are transferred out. They lost their defensive coordinator. Um, so I, I think they're going to go back down to earth a little bit there. So out of these three, if I had to pick myself, I guess Michigan would be the closest that has a chance to do well again next year. So I'll pass over to you, Jordan. What, what are your surprise teams? Who, who do you see Who you see that did well this year, and what do you think they're going to do next year? Um, the three, you know, I have uh, two ACC teams, you know, Wake Forest and Pitt. I mean, they kind of came out this year and just surprised a lot of people. I mean, Wake Forest scored a lot. Um, Pitt scored a lot. Kenny Pickett, uh, I think, surprised a lot of people with the season he had. Um, my last one, uh, is Baylor. I think the way, you know, Baylor ended up in the top 10, Baylor um, just played a great against Oklahoma State, uh, Oklahoma. They, you know, they were that team that I think were underdogs 
in a lot of sense, no one thought they yeah. would be where they went, were, uh, win the Big 12, um, win their bowl game. Uh, so all that, I mean, those are the three teams that really surprised me. Um, we didn't see a Clemson this year in the ACC championship game. So, but you have, you know, the Wake Forest and Pitt game. I, it was one-sided for Pitt, but, you know, Wake Forest still had a good offense, I guess. I, I, was, I, I saw. So I, I think uh, Pitt and Wake Forest, I don't think next year can do it again. Um, I don't see them getting back. Like Pitt's not going to get another Kenny Pickett, uh, Wake Forest. I think Clubs is going to rise back up. Um, but Baylor, I could see Baylor next year doing the same thing, um, running the Pac-12 or the Big 12 um, without – maybe basically Oklahoma is done for. Um, Oklahoma State is probably going to be the – it's just going to be the same thing as last, next year – or last this year with Oklahoma State, Baylor, and the Big 12 championship. That Those are the three teams that surprised me. Like I said, Baylor is that one team that probably I could see doing it again. Yeah, for sure. I, I see a lot of good things happening in Baylor. I really like the head coach there and the, what he's building. He was obviously um, did a really good job with the defense of LSU for many years, so it's not surprising he built up a really good defensive team in Baylor. I think if they can get a quarterback in, I guess that's always the key, a quarterback that can run a pretty decent offense in the Big 12, I think I can see them do a lot of good things. And they could be the face of the Big 12 after all the changes of Oklahoma and Texas, so they go on to SEC. So this could be a, a you know – setting the tone for years to come here for Baylor. Uh, and every question I, I thought was interesting, there's always people speculating about when Nick Saban's going to retire, and there's probably a lot of hope for many teams out there that he's retiring this year or next year. I even saw um, a thread out there that said that he, you know, you may start seeing some Alabama players transferring out because next year's going to be his last year, that kind of thing. I don't know if I believe that. He still seems like he enjoys what he's doing, so – but let's say he did retire in the next year or two. Who do you um, who do you think Alabama should go after to hire as their next coach? If you were them, like, is there anybody out there that you can pull in and you know Alabama will not lose a step and continue going? Or, you know, is that just the kind of far-fetched idea that you're not going to repeat what Nick Saban does? So what do you think, Jordan? I have two. I, I see, you know, getting either uh Curry Smart to come over which I probably, you'll never see Kirby Smart come over to Alabama, I don't think, unless they pay him big bucks. But um, I think uh, Alabama and Georgia are kind of really similar teams. Um, so I, I could see Kirby Smart coming over and it not Alabama not missing a step. Also, in my eyes, uh, Lane Kiffin coming over. Uh, he was an assistant coach behind Nick Saban. It, it, he basically knows what Nick Saban does. And I think... The crazy thing in my eyes, if Lane Kiffin came over, the offense that he'll bring from Ole Miss, it might even put Alabama always at top because that's the one thing I think Alabama always kind of doesn't have. They have great quarterbacks. I think this year was different, but it's always that offense that kind of is always behind for Alabama and their defense is the one that keeps them where they are. That was good answers. I have. You know, I fought with Kirby Smart as well, but I um, obviously coached there for many years, so he might have affinity for Alabama. But I think it's actually easier to recruit at Georgia. Um, Alabama, you know, it, yeah, you get the recruits at Alabama, obviously, you're Nick Saban. But Alabama, if you compare the two states in, in high school recruiting, it's much bigger area of recruiting in Georgia than it is in Alabama. 
Um, you're clo also, also closer to Florida. Uh, you just get a better base of recruits there in Georgia. I think it'll be easier. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, if I was Alabama, I'd make that call. Didn't him, you know, one of the first calls there. Um, I'm fond of Lane Clifton as well. Um, I just, my concern with him is the defense. Would you be able to continue? You have to bring in a really strong defensive coordinator because that's been Alabama's bread and butter. Even when they've had good offensive years, that defense is always there and it's always elite and it can always stop the other team. Especially is that's especially important in college football playoff when you when you play against like Oklahoma or Ohio State or teams like that. Um, but the you know a call I thought about as well was Dabo Sweeney. Um, he went to college at Alabama, obviously, so he it's his all on honor. And there's been rumors of him being the one to take over before. I might I would be hesitant with Dabo Sweeney though, just because you've seen him be really hesitant about getting ahead of things like the transfer portal and and IL and. You already saw a little bit last year. They didn't bring in – they had weaknesses on the offensive line and other areas. They could have brought in transfers to fix that, and they didn't do that last year, which Alabama did. I think that's something I always appreciate about Nick Saban. If he sees where the college football landscape is going, he'll go there and he'll perfect it, where I think Dabo is, like, setting his ways a little bit. So I think that actually wouldn't work out well. So those would be the three I would start off with. But then, um, you know, it could be this – it could be this young coach out there that just gets it. That's a good recruiter. You have to get somebody that lives and dies with recruiting um, for sure. But I would, those would be the first free calls I would make and hope that, um, you know, you get one of them on board and you get some strong coaches around them for sure. Um, let's talk about another one here. So obviously the, the one, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the news about the playoff and a lot of um, talk back and forth about what they should or should it do with the playoff format. So, you know, what is the perfect playoff format? When I, when I think of that, um, I, I like the 12-team format that's been kind of thrown out there. Not exactly the way they had it set up, but I think 12 teams is a good first step. Now, obviously, you know, it would be great if they could do like 64 teams, everybody gets a chance. But I think if you're thinking football and you, you have a limited amount of hits that you could take, uh, you try to limit that as much as possible. Look at the NFL. They have, what, 14 teams in the playoffs or, or something like that. So I think 12 is a, is a good kind of measuring stick. What I don't like is that the teams that win a, their championship game get an automatic buy. I mean, there's been some years where some teams get in that don't have any right to be in a championship game. If they were to win a game to get to the playoff, it doesn't seem like the regular season meant nothing to there. So if I was doing it, my my thought process would be you have the 12 teams, but you are selected based on regular season champions if you wanted to go off that. Um, or you don't go off of any, any like nobody gets an automatic buy into anything. You have to, it's just based on a committee that picks the 12 best teams and anybody's available that can go in. So you could be a group of five, you could be a power five. Everybody gets an opportunity. If you're in that top 12 that the committee picks, you get the chance to go in, um, you know, and then how the format would work. It would be, I like the format that they brought up where you get to play home games for being a higher rated seed. I do like that. I like the chance that like, you get to go to Notre Dame or Ohio State to play a game in the snow or winter. I mean, that, that's what they do in the NFL. This makes a lot of sense to do it that way, not to go to one of these tropical bowl game locations. Uh, I think it just it keeps it a little more fair for you. You had a good regular season. You get to host a game at your house and make teams come there and play you. I think that's the right way to do it. Um, but, you know, as far as like automatic buys, again, that should just be not like, hey, here's the, the top four teams get automatic buy because they want a championship. It should be just the top four teams get a buy. I don't like the fact that 
you know, you would Cincinnati this year would get they might not get a chance to be get a buy because they're not a group of you know they're not a Power Five crop champion. That makes no sense to me. And it's like Notre Dame not getting a buy because they're one of the top four teams because they're not a conference champion. That doesn't make sense. The whole whole thing is it, it should be just the best teams. So that's how I would do it. What are your thoughts? What do you? How would you perfect the, the college football playoff? I'm with you on the 12 um, team playoff. I think if you go any lower, it's kind of just hard to do. Um, I know the FCS does 24 teams. Um, and eight teams have a buy in this next 16 play. Um, but that's they, they play from like November till the week, I think, before or the weekend before the national championship. Um, the 12 team, um, I think they do the same thing they've already been doing with the college football playoff rankings. Um, they do the college football playoff rankings. And if you're in that top 12, there you go. And if they want to do the top four, they do want to do four team buy four teams get buys or whatever, then the top one, two, three, and four get a buy. Just do the same. It's basically don't change it enough too much from what it is already in the sense that the top four teams in the college football playoffs now. Yeah. So just keep the top four teams, get that buy. Yes. But you have the 12 that at least if you're 25, then you still have a chance to get that 12 if yeah. stuff happens. And I mean, we saw this year a lot of things Lots happen that teams dropped. So it, it just keep it the top 25 college football playoff rankings. And if you're in that top 12, good on you, you're in. But uh, if you do too much of conference championship, this and that, it's just, it'll be, it, they'll ruin conferences in the sense that teams are on a lot of leave a group yeah. of five conference and go to a power five conference to have a chance at getting that group that bio game yeah for sure and you know I, and one of the reasons i thought removing a championship game why you play 12 games and you have to play a championship game you need to play this playoffs it doesn't make a lot of sense at all these games when really the championship game i mean it's great it makes for good tv ratings and, and all that but it, you know again I, and i like them for college basketball obviously different sport but i, I don't feel like it adds value enough here where you win the regular season. I mean, it should mean something. Not you get to go there and your best player may be out for one game. It happens to be the championship game. You lose, and then this other team gets an automatic buy to the playoff, and you have to. You might fall out. It's like the the year that Penn State won the Big Ten championship, but Ohio State got to go in. I mean, <clears throat> well, the regular season, you know, it doesn't didn't make a lot of sense to me because they they beat them head to head. You know, there's just. You just got to be – I just think you have to be more fair with these teams that the regular season shouldn't matter. And, you, and the people that bring up, well, the regular season won't matter if you have 12 teams. This will help matter. If you win your regular season or you do good, you get a better chance to have a bye in the in the playoffs just like you do in the NFL. So um, anything else there to add to that part? But what coming off yours, you know, I mean, if, say, Iowa beats Michigan, then, then Iowa gets – a big 10 chance uh, gets in the bye week for the team. It's like, it, like, it's not about record anymore. It's about if you, you somehow, if you can beat conference teams and you get into the conference championship game and win, you're that's it. You have to play. That's all that's all that matters is your conference. No other team matters. Yeah. No, oh, sure. Um, all right. Let's talk about, um, 
NIL deals, obviously that's been a big hot topic. Like people are bringing that up every time someone transfers to a new school. And we've also heard millions of dollars that Texas A&M has spent. I just read a report recently that, you know, Ohio State, you know, is spending quite a bit of money on, well, not them, but they're the, the groups that are helping um, the boosters and all are helping Ohio State are spending a lot of money there. So how, how will NIL deals impact recruiting is, what do you think? Like, what's the long-term, you know, impact of um, these deals happening? What do you think? I think it'll be not great for NCAA in the, in that, like the grand scheme of things, but the small, smaller schools. Yeah. So Jackson State getting that number one player, that's huge. You, you have these smaller schools that are in, I mean, Jackson State's in a great area. They had, they probably had people that could give the money to pay this player to come. And I think that's big. And so we don't keep getting an Alabama group power five anymore. In, in the long run, we might be just seeing every conference being great because you're getting all these schools that their boosters have the means to pay to get this player to come. Now they're, in the top 25 every year because they're, they have the money. So you, if it'll make um, college football in grand scheme better in the sense that these smaller schools get these bigger players than when not before they didn't, you have the group. If you're in a power five conference, you're going to get the players that are great players. If you're not, you kind of get, the smaller team players. So I think yeah. that it, it'll be good. Maybe <laughs> it'll see, it'll have to be regulated a little bit more than it is right now. I think that's the, the biggest thing right now. It's there's no regulation and it's just kind of a do it. No one's going to really ask questions about it, but I think they're going to have to be more transparent and more regulations on it by the NCAA to make it so that teams aren't paying all these players so much and they're yeah, just, it, it'll be more regulated. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I am concerned about that piece. Cause I mean, obviously Texas A&M had the best recruiting class of all time because they did these deals and the way it sounds is they're presenting the deals to the players, which is illegal. Um, but nobody's saying anything about it. They're just, whatever happens, happens, you know, and I, I don't think that's fair when you have those other smaller schools that may not be able to get those type of deals. You know, they may be able to get a deal here and there, like Jackson, you know, Jackson State was you know able to do because of Deion Sanders. But you know, there's going to be those small schools that maybe don't have those connections or don't have those same level of boosters that care about football that would give that money away. And then how do you compete? You know, that's where it needs to be regulated. Where there's a, still a chance for those smaller schools to compete. When I think about this question, you know, I think there's going to end up with being two camps. There's going to be those schools like a Texas A&M and others that, uh, you know, are really are treating recruiting like free agency. They're looking to give money, you know, to those uh, players that really don't care about school or just really to go in. They're looking to get the money, play football, and then get to the NFL. And then it's going to be the other camp will be, you know, those schools that, that actually care about education first. But, you know, it'll, this will allow them to enhance the fact that, hey, you get to go to get this great education. On top of that, we're going to give you some money 
for NIL deals. Cause I'm thinking about, you know, like a Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, Stanford. I don't think their ideals are going to change on the fact that um, education is important to those schools and they, they want to provide the best education possible where it needs to happen though, is they need to be, they need to work and make sure that they're getting some amount of money. You get a good education. You combine it with this money to have a good living while you're there and you still have the opportunity for the NFL and you'll get probably a different level of player. There's some players that don't want to deal with NIL. They just want to go and go to school and have a good education and go to NFL or go do whatever they're going to do in their career. So I think it's going to create a couple of different camps there. Um, but to your point, I think, you know, if you don't regulate it, it's going to come to the have and have nots where those schools that have the most boosters are going to have, you know, most, most wealthy boosters are going to have the best college teams. And that's just, it's going to feel like the Yankees in baseball there for a while where they can outspend everybody and just spend 300 million. Everybody else is spending 100 million and have the best team every year. And this does, I never, that's why I stopped watching baseball. So I hope that doesn't happen with college football because it just will kind of lose the joy a bit there. If that's how you're winning is by outspending everybody else. Um, so let's jump ahead. I, you know, I, I thought an interesting topic. I, I've been reading Georgia message boards. Um, and Stetson Bennett, the, you know, obviously the quarterback of the national champion Georgia team, you know, had opportunity to go on and graduate. Um, and there was thought he wasn't going to come back. He was ended on, you know, winning the title, but he decided to come back and he's, you know, slated to be the starter again next year. What do you think about this? A lot of Georgia fans, you would think they'd be happy, but they're not happy that he's coming back because obviously he has limitations as a quarterback. And they're losing a lot next year. They're losing a lot on defense and offense. They've already had a, a um, wide receiver transfer that didn't feel like he was getting enough production with Alabama. So um, what do you feel? Do you feel he sh- should have came back? He should have ended it on a good note? Or what, what, do you, what do you feel there? I think um, his mindset is making the NFL probably. And I don't think the one year of production he had will get him anywhere near it. I think he wants to come out uh, and have one more year where he can show out more. And, you know, he might not get a high round draft pick unless he plays like a Kenny Pickett this next year and just puts up numbers. Um, but he, he, I think he wants to play to get into the NFL. And I think if he left and didn't come back and just graduated this year, he wouldn't have been where um, – he wants to be in the terms of NFL, NFL draft. Um, but in, for him, yes, come back. But I think they needed to move on. I think they needed him to graduate. I think they needed JT Daniels to stay. I think they needed – I think he didn't give the production on offense that Georgia needed all year. Um, they, if, if they had a good offense, they would have beat Alabama two times or at least beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, um, not having offense kind of um, stuttered, like slowed them down a little bit. And I don't think with – and what you said with them thinking his growth is kind of done, I see that. I think he's kind of at that point where it's like he's at the best he can be unless they bring in someone – a different – quarterback coach so you know yeah. I, I just think his limitations is always going to be his size I mean he's not he doesn't he's short obviously I mean he's probably one of the shorter quarterbacks in, in college football 
On top of that, he doesn't have a strong arm. He's mobile, but he's not like super athletic mobile. And so I think he just has those limitations. And listen, this year it was fine because he had that strong offensive line, really strong running game, and he didn't have to score a lot of points. That defense was going to shut everybody down. That defense probably is going to be good next year, but it's probably going to come back down to earth a little bit. You're probably going to lose some offensive line players. You're not going to have as many targets on the offense. You need someone that can carry the offense a little more and score a little more points, I think, this year. And I just don't think he can do that. I don't think he's going to get drafted no matter what he does. He just because of his, you know, obviously his his height and his um, athletic ability. Um, and I think he should have ended it on a good note. Yeah, you won a national championship. You were a walk-on. You worked your way up. You got this national championship. You can you can kind of go out and do whatever career you're going to do next. I feel like he's going to be benched this year at some point. And then the last figure we're going to remember is him being benched. And so I, I just don't know if there's a right decision for him or for – um, or for the team, um, they have some freshman quarterbacks behind him that you know potential to be good. So I think one of them eventually will take over. But then again, Kirby Smart seems to love him. He's the one that told him to come back. So you know it's it's one of those things. I think the Georgia quarterback, the Georgia fans really just want a quarterback that could be like a Bryce Young that could really dominate a game. And I just don't think he's that's not who he is. I think he's a smaller Ian Book you know, is when I look at him, you know, and who's not as mobile. So that's scary thought because watching him as a Notre Dame fan for years, you know, if somebody less than him, less mobile is a quarterback. I just don't think I can win a national championship, but you did it once. So they might surprise and do it again. So you never know. Um, let's talk about the ACC a bit. So there's been a lot of news, obviously, as we talked about earlier with the playoff format. The uh, ACC seems to not want to extend a playoff. They're kind of doing it to put pressure on Notre Dame to join their conference as a full-time member, uh, basically saying that they're not going to sign off on this. Um, and the thinking behind it is, you know, they want a new TV deal um, and they want a better spot on this playoff. And they feel like the only way to do that is if Notre Dame joins their conference as a full-time member. So, uh, Jordan, what do you think? Should to Notre Dame join them as a uh, full-time member or keep their independent status? I don't. I don't see why ACC wants them so bad in the conference. Um, they played them five times this year, and they beat them all five times. Um, so it, it's they already play them enough. I think it's a TV deal, though, because I think, like, their teams are terrible. I don't want to – sorry, ACC. I don't know if you did – spoiler alert, your teams are terrible. But um, – so they're, TV, they're stuck in a long-term TV deal that is not worth anything near what the Big Ten, SEC, even like maybe the Big 12 is making. And I feel like the only way they can get out of restructure that deal and get an even better deal is if they have a number member like Notre Dame join. Um, they probably don't care if Notre Dame wins every game. They just want someone that can bring that visibility because right now they have Clemson and it's a bunch of other teams. So they, they kind of need Notre Dame to get in there and get that visibility, give them a better seat at the table. I just, if Notre Dame, what do you gain? You have nothing to gain. You're already playing ACC. You're already beating ACC. You have all these other great matchups. You actually will hurt your streak of schedule and move down to the ACC like it did that one year. Um, I mean, really, I don't know. If I was to join a conference, if I was Notre Dame, I'd probably join a Big Ten. I mean, it makes sense from a Midwest perspective. I, obviously, they want to keep the, the connections ACC because they're recruiting down south. Um, but honestly, it, it doesn't make any sense to go to if you go to any conference, it'd make more sense to go to eight to Big Ten or SEC because 
you get the better recruiting, you get more money from the TV deals. Um, it's more natural footprints. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense for me to go to ACC. What do you, what do you think there? I don't think so either. Um, the biggest thing that would go to the ACC is because basketball. Yeah. And that's the reason, that's the biggest reason I think um, Notre Dame signed when they signed the ACC for basketball, they had uh, the football, they had something with it. The football team had to play a certain amount of games every yeah. season against the ACC. So that's the biggest reason why they play. And I, I'm with you on like, why, why join the ACC when you're right by all, you're in the middle of all big 10. You're basically the middle school and all the big 10 school. And I mean, the big 12, it would even, I would understand they're not too far away. I mean that right there, but you're basically, they're in the middle. I mean, so they, why join the ACC in this that sense? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I have a, a, a surprise question we have not talked about before to me. I, it just came in the news here that what they're, um, the Iowa AD, Gary Barta, um, brought up the fact that the Big Ten is considering scrapping their divisions and potentially moving back to eight Big Ten games and adding more ACC and Pac-12 matchups. Um, into their conference. What do you think about that? This your initial reactions, um, you know, getting rid of the two two divisions, which I think we talked about before in the podcast. We thought they should do that, I believe. Um, so, what do you think? This initial, do you think that's a it's a good thought process by the Big Ten? Um, yeah, I mean, especially if they switch the format for yeah. the college football playoffs, um, switch to the twelve teams, then you know you, you can have your Wisconsin's or your and Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. You can have a lot of your teams getting in or getting close to getting in if you play. You play and beat ACs, SEC teams, ACC teams. You beat big school conferences. I feel like playing your nine games against your big the Big Ten is kind of like you know ninety not nine but like forty percent of those teams are bad. Um, or inconsistent, uh, Indiana, you know, you have, you know, Iowa, they're good once one year, next year, they're bad. Nebraska, um, all these schools that you play, you don't get the recognition. Oh, you beat them by 54 points. They're not going to put you in, but you playing these SEC schools that are, you know, any SEC school. Yes. They're not all great, but any of them, you get in that spot. Well, here's the thing, though. They're playing ACC and ACC. ACC. So mm. um, I don't know if that adds anything to your schedule. But um, what I think it does, though, is, um, you know, there's been years where it's obvious that Michigan and Ohio State or Penn State and Ohio State or the, they're the best schools, but they're in the same division. And so then whoever wins that division has to play a mediocre Iowa, Michigan State, Wisconsin team where I think of this new format and say if you're keeping championship games you could actually have it where Michigan and Ohio State play they're, they're the top two teams they play again the very next weekend um, or you know Penn State and Ohio State play the very first game of the season at the end of the year they have the best records or the best teams they play in the championship game and I like that I don't like the fact that you have three the top three best teams are in one division and the rest are like mediocre it doesn't make for a good championship game. So if nothing else, if you keep it the championship games, I think that's the way to go. I don't like that they're aligning themselves so closely to the ACC and the Pac-12. 
Um, I, I don't know if you remember from a couple months ago, they, they, they had that coalition that they decided to start on scheduling games. And I don't know why they're continuing to do this. I guess they, they're trying to go against SEC a bit, but this is not going to help. I don't think those teams in the Pac-12 at ACC, unless, unless you're playing Clemson a lot, you know, USC gets better, Oregon's there. There's some teams that, that will help that, you know, will help you get there. But some of these teams are just not, you know, do you any, any good. So I, I don't know. That's that's the only thing that worries me about this this, this initiative. Yeah, 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 you're totally right. I mean, the SEC, if you're not playing SEC schools and you're playing in the Pac-12 or, you know, the ACC, and you're not playing those big schools, like if you're not going to play Clemson every year, there's no reason. If you're not going to play Oregon or even Utah now, there's no reason to. I wish you could set it up to like, based on rankings, like I know it'd be hard to do like, this week is going to be dedicated to ACC Big Ten Big Ten games, and two weeks beforehand, we're going to make a decision on who you play. I know it would be pretty tough to do, but think about the back to the pandemic. You made those decisions when you had to. I just think like, hey, you know, we're we're, we're going to take the top team in the Big Ten and the top team in the ACC, and they're going to play each other. The second best teams will play the second best team, and so on and so on and so on. Um, and it makes some good matchups because I think what's going to happen is. They're going to schedule this like 10 years out. They're going to say, hey, North Carolina is good. We're going to schedule them against Ohio State. And then 10 years from now, North Carolina sucks. And you have a bad matchup. And, you know, that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening with scheduling now. You need to get more dynamic with scheduling, I think. You know, even if it's just preseason scheduling, like whose preseason predictions would be good and schedule it based on that. Because, um, you know, I think they just have a better opportunity there. Um. Okay, this is a personal question. I had to throw it in because I, I really I have a have a strong take I have on this one. So um, we see a lot of recent news on, on issues that are happening in Hawaii. Um, you know, there's some coaching issues, some recruiting issues, some financial issues. There's a lot of weird things going on there. And so the question I have is, do we do we think Hawaii could ever be a bigger brand? And the reason I ask this question is I was thinking about Hawaii. And I'm like, if I'm a young guy in the Midwest, I'm a three-star player, four-star player, and it's cold where I'm at, and I want to get to more nice tropical environment, why would I not want to go to Hawaii and play my college football in a nice state like Hawaii, get to have the culture aspect of Hawaii, get to live on a beach area. I mean, just enjoy your life for four years before having to go to your career NFL. And, you know, I would really target those areas that are like, man, I want to get out of here, out of the Midwest, out of this cold, out of this snow, target those Indiana's, Ohio's, you know, and I would really target the three stars to start. You may, you may be able to get some four stars, but three stars that like are secondary thoughts to some of those Midwest schools, pluck them and really build your team with that and make some hard-nosed, tough Hawaii football team. That's where I'm thinking of what you could take Hawaii. It's like a almost a sleeping giant that could you just think about it. I could think I could see them making it to like the PAC 12 one day with you build them the right way. It puts them a little bit of financial, obviously they probably don't have a lot of money in Hawaii, but if you get a booster, they can put some money into that team and, and do some things. I think just think of like the a visits. I know they probably have a weird limit and amount of visitors that they can fly in from a high school perspective, but if you get some money behind that and 
start flying. And who wouldn't want to take a, a trip to Hawaii on an official visit to watch a game or and meet the coaches? Just think about that. I, I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, you, you might be able to build a really good team out there. What What do you think? Do you think there's <laughs> any chance of why you can, can build something up like that? No, I think the location. And I also think that conferences don't want them because of location. Um, and I get where you're coming with um, getting the Midwest kids. But those three-star athletes, if they're not rich or they don't have the means to have their parents fly out yeah. every once in a while or have the means to fly home during breaks. It, it's, it's, it's hard on them. So I, I think they would have to do something and get a booster to come in and pay just, you know, the yeah, there's some really good NIL deals there. Yeah. You know, not, not even NIL deals, but if you can just do flights. Yeah. I don't flying, want to hotel, something like that with the parents. That's the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I wonder if you target it a certain way. So you target the private schools out of, out of the United States that are being paid for by parents already. And so they already have a financial investment into their student and they can afford that. Maybe that's where you do. But yeah, you're right. That would be very difficult. I could see, especially, I don't know any well-known boosters that have a lot of money that are supporting Hawaii football. So yeah, maybe someone out there, but I think, they really would need that and really some strong NIL deals. But I really think if you had someone, man, I mean, I think you could build it. Who would I want to go play in Hawaii at for four years? I would love to live in Hawaii for four years. So I don't know. That's just me, though, in this Midwest, knowing I'm dealing with right now. So um, let's see. Um, so the final question here is if we had to pick a team that hasn't already made the college football playoff to make it next year, who will we pick? Um, for me, the easy answer would be Texas A&M because – they get, are getting all the recruits in the world, but I still go back, man, I don't trust our quarterback. I don't trust them beating Alabama two years in a row and then going, getting through Georgia as well. So I, I, it's just hard for me to say that, but you know, if you guys haven't heard, there's some news out there that Caleb Williams may be interested in going to Wisconsin. And so let's say that were to happen and he goes to Wisconsin, they have a good defense, good de offensive line, some decent offensive targets with Caleb Williams behind it. That's been one thing holding them back and a good running game. That's been one thing holding them back against, um, you know, the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world. I think he can make a difference and make a run to get them to the playoffs. What do you think? Who, who's your like sleeper team that hasn't made a playoffs yet that you might be able to make it? Um, I have three schools, I, I think. Um, uh, Utah. I mean, how great Utah's offense was this year um, and how they basically – held their own against Ohio State on scoring. I mean, Ohio State has a really bad defense and a great offense. But if you can almost outscore a great offense, that's, that's outstanding. Um, Oklahoma State, if I think the biggest thing is they get that offense set a little more. Yeah. They could be that Big 12 team that gets in. Um, and even with Baylor, um, same thing. Um, they, Oklahoma State and Baylor reversed the roles for the Big 12 basically this year with having a better defense than an offense. And I, I can see those two teams being at the cusp, being the next Oklahoma for that Big 12 school. Yep. And same thing with Utah, being that next Oregon in the Pac-12. All good choices. What about 
USC, you think um, could say Kelly Williams decide to go to USC, would they have an opportunity? I mean, I know they're missing. I, I feel like they're just putting this team together with, with tape and glue at the moment with all the transfers they're bringing in, but um, they are bringing in a lot of good pieces. Do you think they have what it takes to make a run in the Pac-12? No. Um, I, I don't see. I think they're losing their top receiver um, just and I mean, so they're losing things on offense. And I don't think Caleb Williams will be able to come in and change it all. Um, I think we've said this before on the earlier podcast that he ended the season on a really slow, uh, kind of like Spencer Rattler beginning of the season note. I, I think yeah. they, and so it, it just, I, I, that kind of worries me. I think we're putting so much on right now. If you look at it, Caleb Williams is getting the same attention, same everything as um, Spencer Rattler did last, in the beginning of last season. So I, I, that, that'd be the biggest thing is, are they going to go in? He's going to go in next year and just have a really bad season like Spencer Rattler did and just get replaced. And, and that's what I think probably will happen. Makes sense. All right. Um, well, let's turn it over before we wrap up here. So just a couple of college football news notes here. So we mentioned Caleb Williams already. He, you know, have to make a decision this, this week or next week. So if he's going to USC, he's probably going to need to make a decision here in the next, I think we said by the 28th. So he has till the 28th when he has to get in the register for classes. So he has a couple of days left there. Um, if he's going to Wisconsin, it'll have to be next week. I want to say by the 4th. Um, so he has a little bit of time with Wisconsin, but he has to make that decision pretty soon if he, if he wants to go to school out there. Um, Oklahoma State hired Auburn's defensive coordinator, Derek Mason, as their new defensive coordinator. So obviously he did a pretty good job with Auburn last year. And so he has a kind of work cut up for him there in Oklahoma State to kind of rebuild that defense after some transfers and things of that nature. Um, wide receiver Jermaine Burton transfers from Georgia to Alabama. This could be another Jameson Williams situation i think he was frustrated i think you mentioned earlier with um just the amount of opportunities he had in the, in the passing game with stetson bennett and then once stetson bennett announced he was coming back i think the very next day or maybe the same day he announced his transfer and then he obviously went to alabama and then oregon's running back travis die transferred to usc that gives 12 transfers for usc now we're really just trying to rebuild our team as quick as possible here so um, but those are the, the, the current top news. You know, this is kind of a, a lull. I think right now a lot of focus is on um, signing day coming up. But really, most of the top prospects have been signed. So there's not going to be a lot of news out there. So uh, we'll keep our eyes posted and obviously bring you anything on this podcast that pops up. But um, that is it for this week. Jordan, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no, I think the Oregon getting Travis Day. Um... I read an article that I guess Lincoln Riley told one of his players he couldn't transfer because it was in conference. Um, that's the biggest thing. Uh, transfer from Oregon to USC, that's in conference. But I also heard uh, Travis Day really, I don't think he cares where he goes. And I don't think he really, he wants to make the NFL, but he's closer to family. Yeah. I think that's the biggest reason that he went to USC is family-wise. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, he did a lot of Oklahoma. There was always there was three or four different cases where, especially quarterbacks that wanted to transfer in conference, and he wouldn't let them. Where he would fight 
tooth and nail to let them into another team. And now he's picked a lot of people off from different Pac-12 teams here. So it's just interesting how he's very critical of that, but then he's okay doing it himself, um, which just shows kind of, I don't want to say character he has, but that's that's the character of a USC team. So as a Notre Dame fan, I, you know, have a little prejudice against USC. So I'm not going to hold that. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's it for this week. Um, those are the news. We'll come back to you next week with uh, another podcast, you know, and hopefully get some good, good topics and conversations going next week. And Ben will be back with us next week. Uh, in case you're wondering where he was, he's, you know, off doing whatever Ben does on, on his days off. So um, we'll see you next week with Ben and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.